Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. Your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and this episode, we're going to be discussing the year that has been very interesting with uh, Ian Roberts, the Group Supply Chain and Technical Director at Lion, as well as uh, his current role and so on. But as ever, I'm joined by Kim Berry, the editor of Food and Drink Business. Kim, how are you doing? I'm very well, Grant, and how are you? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Not too bad. Lovely. And uh, hi, Ian. Hey, how are you? Very well indeed. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's great to be here. I'm very interested to see what we uncover here. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I thought, uh, as is always a good idea, why don't we start at the very beginning? How long have you been with the company? Yeah, well, I um, probably am one of the rare breeds in in our uh, category. Uh, I was at university studying chemistry a bit over 30 years ago. And uh, as I was studying away, like all good uni students, I was enjoying a beer and there was a poster on the wall offering a scholarship at Castlemaine Perkins. So, I thought, geez, I'll have to have a go at that. Sounds like a, a university student's dream. So, I applied for that scholarship and miraculously got it. And that sort of started my career in the industry. And I've sort of worked um, all over the place, all parts of the supply chain and area. I've worked uh, overseas in all of Lyons breweries and um, and really fortunate enough through that kind of era to end up leading all of uh, Lyons supply chain. So, I feel very privileged. It's it's also a bit of a rare story and, um, geez, there's a lot of tales over those 30 years working in breweries, I can tell you. I, I, um, I just sort of think in relation even to just the absolute boon of craft beers within, say, the last 10 years. So, to have worked in beer, beer and brewery industry over the last 30 it must you must have witnessed some pretty remarkable sort of changes across that time. Yeah, look, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, what I like about what's happening with craft is, and I think back to the early part of my career, um, everything was sort of very hands-on, very manual. Um, we used to, you know, measure things out by hand. And of course, the scale of operations changed. And with our sort of relentless focus on consistency, more automation and more technology like it has come into all manufacturing and all logistics um, came to the fore. So, when I see kind of what's going on with craft and all these small breweries popping up everywhere, it's great for the category. It's great for the craft. It's great for innovation. And, you know, at Lion, we're major fans. If you've drunk our range of beers with major fans of the craft industry and what it's doing for the category. And for me personally, it's like going back to your roots, sort of going back to where it all began. Oh, I love it. So, does that mean does that mean you started with Forex? It does, yeah. So, 30 years ago, um, my first job was I, I started working through my university uh, holidays. That was part of the scholarship in my sort of Oh, it was for about a year, and my first job was watch, washing test tubes in a laboratory with chromic acid, which was a remarkable job. Um, used to burn your hands constantly with acid and um, keep the test tubes clean. That's wow. what I did for about six months. <laughs> wow! And thirty years later. Thirty years later, who would have thought? So, tell me, tell us a bit about now. Like, what does your role encompass now? Right. So, now, supply chain, when people hear the term supply chain, it can mean many, many different things. And and my role, I look after all of the procurement for Lion. So, that's all of the raw materials and indirect 
um, services and the like. I look after all of the research and development for Lions. So we've got a, a, a like a laboratory and pilot brewing facilities. Uh, look after all of our brewing operations uh, across Australia, New Zealand, and indirectly support our US business and UK business. And look after all the customer service elements uh, in Australia and New Zealand. Um, and just on the side, I, I also in my spare time work for a charity which is called the Institute of Brewing and Distilling, uh, which is based out of the UK, which is actually, Grant, it's a um, educational facility. It's not a drinking facility. And <laughs> and that's really supporting, I suppose, all those craft brewers you were talking to and, and people of the future. How do we ensure that they're well-educated and they know what they're doing in the craft of brewing. Thank you for clarifying that. I was going to ask if that was uh, researching new ways to come up with crafty brews. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, um, the best research you can do is actually have a stab at a new technique or, or taste something. That's, that's the best research I've always found. Wow. What's that relationship for a company of your size and, and stature in that procurement process and, and the partners that you have in that space? Are, are they... Um, I mean, I imagine some of them are quite long-term um, and have contracts and all sort of manner of legalities around them. But how does that work for a company of your of your size? Well, Kim, it works really like any company. We have strategic uh, suppliers that we work very closely with, and that may be with innovation. Um, they may recommend some new uh, supply chain solutions or some new um, product thoughts, and we work very closely with them in bringing those to life and understanding those. And we also have a range of uh, other suppliers who, you know, we work, again, closely with, but they're probably not the very long-term group of suppliers that you would expect to see. So, when you're looking at our organisation and you're thinking about packaging materials or you're thinking about hops or you're thinking about, you know, barley, these things are really integral to our you know, our fine products. So, we take a really long-term sustainable view when we look at those suppliers. So, we, we do tend to have long-term agreements and long-term relationships, which, you know, coming back to that that history, that also, um, you know, forms great relationships and, and uh, you know, lots of camaraderie across the sector. Yeah, sure. What aspect of your role at the moment do you see as the most interesting, I guess, or the the area where the most change is sort of happening? Well, that kind of chops and changes depending on what's happening at the time. I mean, I when I get out of bed, it's always a new day. So, you know, there's always new challenges and new things on the go. And I mean, twenty if 2020 has taught us anything, um, it's been a pretty complicated year for, for us at Line and for everybody around the world. So, for me, it's really just the thrill of seeking out the new idea and, and chasing it down. I, I mean, because of my background and I, I've worked in breweries for so long, a brewery, it's very hard to explain. There'll be maybe some brewers out there who will understand, however, and, and it's a bit like a family. So, you, you really build a tight bond with the people that you work with. And I suppose that whole teamwork and the essence of team and culture and you know, doing the right thing for the long term is kind of what what I uh, focus on each day. You know, I'm probably not the best, world's best brewer anymore. You know, I'm not on the tools, so to speak, but certainly my role is taking carriage of the future of Lions um, Brewing Credentials and its team and its capability and making sure we're kind of the best brewers that we can be. 
Why do you think that is? Why do, what do you think it is about being a brewery or being, you know, brewing a beer? Why do you think it is that the, the culture in that environment is is so unique? Uh, do you think it attracts a particular type of character? Or um, I think, look, I think it it probably it probably does in a broad sense. I mean, a, a brewery. I mean, when you work in a brewery, it's it's kind of a unique experience because what you're making it's it's a process that goes back thousands of years, and it's the blend between art and science. So there's a lot to understand, and there's a lot you'll never understand. And so that that creates kind of a bit of a, I suppose, an in, interesting uh, daily work where you're going and exploring processes and techniques, and you're conducting little experiments, and you're seeing if you get the best productivity or you get the best quality. Maybe it's a flavour profile that nobody's ever experienced before, and you and you're dealing with um, live organisms with yeast, and you know they have their own personalities. So I think. When you work in a brewery, all of that mix mash of unique kind of process and experiences, it, it builds just a whole conversation amongst people about what they're doing, which you can't have those conversations with other people because they don't really understand it. All they want to do is drink drink, drink the finished product. Um, and then the other, the other aspect is, you know, breweries tend to work because of the nature of the brewing process. It works round the clock. So you have a lot of people working together for long hours and working shift work. And, the, and in our organisation, depending on the size of the operations, you know, they can be in teams. And then you get a whole team dynamic where people really get to know each other on a personal level. So that's where... Um, as you work around different breweries, you, you form a really long-lasting friendships and that's what I've always found a really nice part of the job and, and, and to the point where, you know, people will go out of their way to help each other to be successful and I've probably been lucky enough to, uh, to you know, receive the benefit of that through the years. So, um, so that's probably what makes it unique. But it's changing. It's changing. And why is that? Is it the automation processes that are coming in or the scale or I, I think I think the nature of the change is a good one. It's it's I'd have to say if you went back to when I started thirty years ago, it was very much you know, you, you think back to um, the states of Australia, for example, you know, there was only a couple of key brands that people drank in their state. In fact, there was probably only one. I mean, when I started, we only made three different types of beer. So, uh, it was a pretty simple life. And how many do you make now? Oh, now, uh, you know, we'd be up to something like three, 250 to 300 different styles of beer in the market. And that's just in Australia. So, I mean... Back in, back in that era, you sort of brewed it. You know, it was like build it and they will come. You brewed it and people drank it. Life was a lot less complex. Today, obviously, uh, there's a lot more competition. It's a lot more regulated. Um, there's a lot more headwinds for the industry a, as a whole. And, and that, you know, that creates, a, I suppose, a different level of focus through the supply chain environment. Wow. Um, so, let's, uh, let's have a look at 2020, shall we? <laughs> Um, <laughs> Preferably in the rear view mirror. <laughs> it began like every other. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk COVID because there's no way we can't. Mm-hmm. Um, just talk me through what that's been like for you in your in your role at Lion. Yeah, it's been a really, really difficult 
year and um, there's no easy way to put it. It's been tough from a business environment. Um, so many people have been impacted. Um, it's been very stressful. People have been very anxious and there's really no other way to say it other than it's been a bit of a shocking, shocking year. So, uh, so what, what I've sort of tried to take away from that is you can focus on all the negatives of which there are many and, and if you follow the news, you'll see that blasted at you every five seconds um, or you can try to look for, I suppose, some of the, the hope and optimism that comes with this sort of time and what are the good things that we're going to take out of it. So, for me personally, I've been just looking at the situation and trying to adapt to it like everybody else and then help the organisation do much the same and, and you know, that's caused a whole heap of um, change through our business. Um, we've had to, like everybody, adapt to that. I would say we've been very lucky in that um, we've been able, we've got a product that we can still sell in the market um, and so we've been able to ensure that we can continue, you know, thankfully to do that and that's kept a lot of people employed and occupied and, um, and also our supplier base. So, I feel very grateful for that. Uh, but not lost on me is obviously um, all of our customers have been terribly impacted, in particular the pubs that have had to close and the like. So we've done sort of everything we can to support everybody around um, around our system. So it's been a pretty tense time, but you know it's also been a time where talking about those thirty years of teams and things where people have really come together and worked, kind of put business aside a little bit and perhaps make some decisions which maybe ec- economically don't make rational sense, but if you're taking a very long-term view on our industry, they're sort of the, the, the decisions that you need to make. Yeah. What's been some of the standout features for you in terms of an operational sense? Uh, from an operational sense, um, well, I mean, I would start at the top and I, I would I would suggest that our business is founded really in our, um, our purpose is to create sociability. So, you know, when that environment for sociability is fundamentally shaken as it as it has been with COVID, that causes you to kind of rethink how you're going to go about business. And in our in our situation, um, one of the huge factors that impacted us was obviously the pubs being closed. And when you think about a supply chain that's built around again a really unique proposition called kegs. So kegs are re- returnable, recyclable containers full of you know anywhere between, say, 20 litres, 25 litres and 50 litres of beer in a unit, um, when all of that channel in your market is effectively switched off, um, you have to make some wholesale changes in your supply chain to not only um, reconfigure it so we can produce all of that beer in a different way. Um, We've also got a lot of kegs out there. Uh, There was some 100,000 kegs in market which, uh, you know, we took a long-term decision not to impact our customers and we, we basically provide credits and returned all of those kegs back into our system at no cost. So that was trying to do the right thing for our customers who were financially, you know, severely impacted with those changes and, uh, and we felt that, you know, we should play our part and we were sort of the first out there to get those kegs back. But at a supply chain level, you know, that's 25 to 30% of your volume is actually going from one style of package, if you want to call it that, to perhaps completely another, where people bought more cans and they drank it and socialised at home. So we had to severely adjust basically our production to suit. 
And how, what does that look like? Did that just mean more, you know, more shifts within, say, the bottling section than it was to the keg section? I mean, because then I imagine you had whole workplace workplace situations in terms of not staff not being too close to each other and all of those sort of operational health and safety sort of factors as well. Yeah, so there's, there was really, you know, if I had to summarise it and I'm thinking on my feet here, there was kind of three key things we put in place. So the first was... Um, a heavy focus on our team because it was it's a very anxious time at the moment. So you're quite right, Kim, that the, the safety and well-being of the team came first. And so we did a whole range of things there, ranging from, you know, compartmentalising or zoning our operations. We moved from what we call Team A and Team B, so groups didn't um, mix together. We upweighted our PPE, obviously cleaning by PPE, I mean personal protection equipment. So we've gone to masks, face shields, um, the whole box and dice. But one of the most important factors with the team was really around communication and just trying, to, as I said earlier, trying to normalise the situation, take a bit of the, the fear out of it. It's going to be okay. You know, we're, we're going to work together on this and really we upweighted our communication. So one of the real benefits of what's happened with COVID is we're all on Zoom. We're all probably better connected in many ways than we ever were because, it, you know, we're using that technology to the full extent. So, I think adjusting the, the teams, um, the way they operated, but also making them feel secure and safe and what they were doing was really key. And then when it came to the actual production process, um, the agility was the name of the game. So, we're really lucky because we we do focus on our in-house skills and our supplier base is local. So we were able to deploy people um, from one line, if you like, one packaging line to another quite readily. Um, we were we were able to change our raw material supply quite quickly because we weren't importing a lot of materials. So that's the benefit of having your supplier base local and, and those long-term relationships, they really work in those times. If you, if you treat people fairly, whether that be your suppliers or whether that be your people, when times are tough, they'll stand up and they'll contribute in a meaningful way and that's what we saw happen and that really got us through that immense change and it was, you know, a good eight to 12 weeks of just absolute pivoting from one system to a completely different system and now we've kind of stabilised that. And we're back into our normal running, so to speak, in the new normal. A quick question. Um, we've got some states that are more open than others. Um, they've got a, a lower infection rate and things like that. So they've been opening um, pubs and, and venues to a degree. Have Have you seen that the keg sales are coming up? And I'm just intrigued to see keg sales versus slab sales in, in states. I know here in Victoria, it'll probably be all slabs because nothing's open. But in places like in TWA, Queensland, that kind of thing. Are the, are the keg sales starting to come back? They won't be anywhere where they were, but... Yeah, so definitely. Look, I mean, human beings like to, as I said earlier, they like to socialise. So the opportunity when it arises for people to get out and get out of their homes, I'm sure there's plenty of Victorians who just can't wait for the moment when they can leave their homes. And people want to see their friends and they want to see their families and they want to celebrate those special occasions. So the way in which they do that is generally they will go out. So what we're seeing, uh, if I picked, you know, Queensland or New South Wales, NT, you know, th we are seeing that return, Grant, but, but it isn't the same as what it was. So people, it, it's a very slow change and, you know, 
with all with all of that encouragement to get people, you know, back into you know restaurants and and pubs and the like, you know, people are now very cautious, and and that's completely understandable. So, it's probably too early to say whether there's been a fundamental shift in the way people socialise and the way they therefore drink, um, etc. However, um, it's bouncing back, which is good to see. But you know, it's it's going to be a very difficult you know twelve to eighteen months, I'd suggest for for um, that on-premise market for sure. Uh, there was a lot of talk, particularly when the whole country went into lockdown, that suddenly there was this huge uptick in alcohol consumption at home compared to everyone going out to pubs and, and hotels. Did that, was that reflected for you guys in terms of beer sales or um, across the business? Yeah, well, Kim, as um, one of the, the people who brews a lot of the uh, – a lot of the beers that people drink, I can categorically tell you, it hasn't been great for um, for the brewing industry as a whole. At, when those pubs close, that's a significant volume um, and a significant amount of revenue that comes into whether you're a small craft brewer with a venue or whether you're a large um, brewer like Lion. So when you look at the mix shift, so sure, we've had to make more cans and bottles for, because people have wanted to consume at home, but they've been doing that in isolation and they've been doing that without the camaraderie of their broader group. So, volumes are absolutely down and that's been um, really detrimental to our business. So, yeah, there's been a lot of rumour and conjecture and conversation about, you know, um, all of these uh, alcohol sales are up, but they're absolutely not. Uh, so, just as you guys are coming to terms with and, and, and pivoting and adapting to COVID, the ransomware attack happened. I know that we can't go into a lot of detail about that just purely out of, you know, commercial incompetence and, and things um, along those lines, which is totally understandable. But what can you sort of share with us about that incident? Well, it was a pretty tense time, Kim. So, you know, amongst a year with um, fires, uh, started with bushfires, a pandemic, um, we were sort of going, oh, hopefully we're getting through this. And it was Queen's birthday long weekend and uh, we became um, the subject of a cyber attack, which is not something you particularly expected at, at this point in time. However, what we soon learned and we saw, you know, the Prime Minister talking about it, there was a whole range of activity through that period and and we weren't certainly weren't the first business to to come under that attack. So what that did for the supply chain environment is it caused a, a result which was really unplanned. And we'd always had a continuity plan and that continuity plan was always looking at, you know, natural disasters and, um, you know, and things that can go wrong in our operations. But I have to admit, we never really foresaw a situation where all of our systems would be taken down simultaneously across Australia and New Zealand. And so, yeah, certainly there was a couple of days there where we were, you know, in a, in a mode of firefighting effectively. But what became apparent was that we were able to quickly re-establish our systems. Uh, we have very, very good people with technical capability. We were able to build workarounds. And over the course of about seven to 10 days, we had all our operations back up and running, which, uh, which we're told is a bit of a feat um, by those experts who are involved. And uh, again, the things we'd learned through COVID around focusing on the team, you know, being agile in your, in your thought processes and your strategy and really thinking long-term 
you know, for example, we came out very quickly and explained what was going on. What what you don't realise is in a lot of companies, it's going on right now, but you don't know about it. So, we, um, we took a view that, you know, our suppliers and our customers needed to know because we weren't operating as normal and, and so we came out and, and the downside of, I suppose, being honest and upfront in those situations is you, you um, collect a little bit of media scrutiny along the way but, you know, we, we hadn't done anything wrong. It, was a, um, it wasn't a pleasant act and it, we were really a victim of, of what happened there but we recovered reasonably quickly and now we're back into it. So, yeah, it's certainly been a year of learning, that's for sure. That was just a little bit of spice. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one, one thing I would share, and I, I think I'm okay in talking about this, is one thing that is a bit different about though a cyber attack is you actually have an adversary. So, unlike a, a continuity situation where there's an event and the event is kind of static and you respond to the event, a cyber attack, they're actually um, – you put in your plan B, they put in their plan C. So it's like playing chess somewhat. So there was a good chess game going on for a week or so while we figured each other out and then um, and fortunately we came out the better for it. Yeah, the the, uh, the whole cyber world um, with the attacks and so on gets really interesting. And uh, it's, it's also how you how you handle it. As you said, you were forthright, you recovered pretty quickly. That can actually be better than... Um, because it improves your image, really. Yeah, okay, we got caught, but we with this attack, but we fixed it and got over it, and look, we're in a better position now. Yeah, and and I think in in you know situations of crisis, it's always um, just good to be upfront. As I said earlier, you know your team, the message to your team is the same as the message to those outside your organisation. It's quite a there's continuity in your narrative and people are, are fully aware and involved as to where things are at and you get a lot more empathy and a lot more sympathy when people understand the situation, right? And that, and that would apply for a COVID pandemic, it applies for a fire, it applies for a cyber attack. I, I think that, that that's what I've I found has sort of helped us through it. Sure. There's been a lot of talk and discussion triggered by COVID about sort of supply chain structures and systems and looking at, say, repurposing local supply chains to be used more effectively, um, bringing things back on shore that have been otherwise not been. Are these sorts of things that you guys are evaluating or looking at now that perhaps wouldn't have otherwise have been on the table? Well, we're really fortunate in that most of what we were purchasing was purchased locally anyway, Kim. So, um, we've always maintained a strategy of keeping our main supplier base where the capability exists and our brewing onshore. So, we're not sort of as highly leveraged as some organisations. I mean, there are some supply chains that are fully imported, for example, and, and those goods may be made offshore. And so, I'm sure they'll be reevaluating um, what that looks like. And, and I think for the Australian country as a whole, again, if I go glass half full on all of this, it may see uh, an uptick in the focus on local manufacturing. It may see more local investment um, and, you know, hopefully more manufacturing jobs for people uh, in our country. So, you know, I'm, I'm all in favour of that. You know, what I would say for Lion, however, is that we've kind of always sort of had that methodology really in the way we run our supply chain. Okay, so I know we touched on this a little bit earlier where you talked about every day is a different day. What does get you out of bed in the morning? Well, getting 
getting out of bed in the morning is reasonably easy for me. Um, I love what I do and, you know, I feel really privileged to be in the role that I'm in and, you know, as I said at the start of this podcast, you know, having a career that's spanned this long in one category, it's very, very rare and, and, and I do feel quite blessed in that regard. So, I just love what I do. So, brewing beer is it's what I've done my whole life. So, it's really hard for me to answer the question. I mean, as long as we're brewing great beer, as long as people, I can go to a barbecue and people are talking about, you know, a, a brew that it might be ours or, or it may be a competitor and they want to have a debate about it, I'm up for that. That's all always good fun, isn't it? Good banter over the barbecuing the sausages. And um, I think for me, uh, it's that whole still trying to understand the black art of brewing, which I don't think anybody will ever get their their head around completely. And also the team environment um, at Lion, is a, it's a fantastic place to work and working in breweries, as I said, is so much fun. You can't really beat it. I've often thought about, you know, I've been offered roles in other areas and other sectors, but geez, why would you leave a fantastic um, place like Brewing Beer So in, in a really good company? So, I just get out of bed to uh, to continue the experience. To be honest, Kim. <laughs> uh, so let's um, let's look ahead, shall we? Shall we try to imagine sure. what the next twelve months is going to look like? <laughs> Hopefully, nowhere near as tumultuous as as this year. But what's um, are there particular things that are on the horizon? You know that you're looking forward to, or that you you know you think the business is really going to grow with or expand into. Well, I think looking ahead, uh, that that way of sociability is going to be interesting to see how that un- unfolds. You know, I very much hope w- we get back to, you know, heaving pubs with full of happy people. Although I think we have to be honest with ourselves that that may take quite some time. So, the way in which people socialise is going to be interesting to see how that unfolds and how we can create you know, whether that be services or products that meet that need, that's certainly something we're quite focused on. And and then when you look at the, the rise of, um, I suppose, technology in terms of supporting the way people connect, that's another really important platform that's keeping probably many people sane at the moment. Um, so, how Lion can weigh into that and use that technology to support maybe a more digital version of sociability, I think will be something that we'll be exploring down the track. Uh, in terms of our business as a whole, I mean, we also have um, obviously an Aussie and uh, Kiwi business and we also geographically, we've expanded into the US and the UK. So, um, in terms of the, the line business, we we see not only kind of organic growth in the mature markets of Australia and New Zealand finding new ways to do things, but we're also expanding geographically um, and taking perhaps some of our skill set offshore, which is kind of interesting as well. I think people will be looking for safety, they'll be looking for authenticity, they'll be looking for quality, and they'll be looking for service. And fundamentally, those things won't change. I think the, the tools and ways we go about it may need to adapt to a, you know, a socially distant environment for a period of time. Mm, sure. Well, look, thank you so much for joining us. Your insights were just really interesting. I think um, many of us sort of looked on at, at breweries and, and, and big beverage companies when when COVID hit and the restrictions came in and just thought, how does that 
how does their world keep turning? And you've given us some really good, you know, explanations and and examples of how of how that happened. In our in our top one hundred last year, Lion came in at number four. So right. we'll be we'll be interested to see uh, see what this remarkable year how the how that list shapes up. But um, thank you so much for joining us today. No worries. Thanks a lot for the opportunity. Well, Kim, Ian, thank you. And thanks, folks, for listening. Uh, We'll be back with the next FTB podcast episode in the not-too-distant future. Until then, have a great time. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Food and Drink Business, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.